21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Drew serves growth-oriented companies through customized training and architecture of emotionally intelligent cultures that grow people and profit. Can you explain? Yeah, so um, I, I believe uh, human-centered design is a lens of which we are architecting new corporate culture that's much more dignifying for the human. So ultimately, a lot of the things I get into are about opening up the responsibility that leadership has to the entire workforce and using human-centered design for the workforce in the same way we're using human-centered design for technology, um, you know, user experience, UX design uses human-centered principles when they're creating applications for the user. And I believe the same data needs to be used to create very emotionally intelligent cultures uh, internally that the workforce will be dignified with value while we're also dignifying our user with value, right? So it's just about making companies more human-centered and, and understanding that we don't have to forsake caring um, for people um, to try to grow profit, that we can grow people and profit at the same time. So when you say leadership responsibility, how would you define leadership and how would you uh, define responsibility? The uh, ability to respond. Um, yeah, so ultimately I see it as, you know, if you are leading people, you have to lead them for their good, not just lead them for the bottom line of the business, right? So you have to be willing to communicate and get, you know, not only just lead people in the direction you need them to go, but lead them in a way that there's buy-in on mission, on the purpose. And, and a lot of this really even starts with hiring the right way the first time, right? So before we have to take people in a new direction, let's hire the right people who are a cultural fit before we even get started. So that as we lead towards the performance objectives, that it's already in line with the culture and the values and the way and the internal lifestyle of the business that's already established. Well, you know, there's a lot shifting in the market right now when it comes to really creating a competitive edge. And of course, as entrepreneurs, we're all trying to create a competitive edge. And I really believe, you know, in, in eras past, if you were funded, you had an edge. If you had unique technology, you had an edge. I really believe the emerging competitive edge in the market is no longer those two things, although they're necessary to succeed. I believe the new competitive edge is a competent team founded in a healthy culture. And I really believe that one of the reasons we don't invest in the healthy culture is that we're concerned that if we invest into people that it will forsake our profitability. I believe we can build thriving cultures with thriving teams that also increase the profitability of our businesses and it's my joy to help people create emotionally intelligent cultures inside of their business that increase employee performance, increase employee engagement, and elevate profitability in the business. How does your uh, your work help individuals and companies 
maximize their human potential. Yeah, so I believe that we need leaders who are really accepting responsibility for the human experience inside of companies. You know, in the past, we've really relegated this as an HR issue. And I really believe this is bigger than a department, but this is really a leadership responsibility that every executive and every team leader needs to have is understanding how to lead their team uniquely according to the human needs on the team, while also benefiting the corporate or team agenda that's driving performance, driving profitability. We don't have to forsake one for the other, but there needs to be a shift where we architect a culture that allows our leadership skills from a human point of view, really elevate and allow us to uh, dignify humans with value and have profitability. You know, I, I've seen it for so long. It was just about, hey, the, the best team was the team that was most competent in their hard skill. And I, I believe that the, the metrics are increasing in the sense that we now need to measure the emotional intelligence of the leader. And I really believe hard skill is something that we can uh, have room to, to grow. We can, we can teach people how to do the things that we do uniquely, um, but you can't always uh, find people who can be taught emotional intelligence. And so we've called this soft skill in the past. I just call it human skill. And we need leaders with human skills to lead very unique and complex social dynamics, emotional dynamics that will allow our teams to perform at a level that they've never performed before. When you say leadership skills, uh, can you share with us some of the skills examples on the hard skills level, uh, social skills level and personal development skills level? You know, and when we're talking about, you know, leadership, obviously from a from a social standpoint, you know, we're really needing for self-awareness uh, to really increase and self-awareness. This is not selfishness. This is not being self-absorbed. This is not ego. This is about being able to be aware of the experience that you as a leader give other people. And ultimately, the, the mechanism that's needed to grow this is feedback. And this is something that I believe every good leader has to get more courageous in initiating feedback experiences with the people above them and the people below them, which is really an exercise in authenticity, an exercise in vulnerability, to ask those that direct report to you, how are you experiencing me and my leadership? And of course, this direct feedback is going to create learning and growth opportunities. Not every ounce of feedback is going to be applicable. It may be um, biased. It may it may be tempered. Um, but there's something to learn from every feedback situation. And I find that leaders, when they grow in their self-awareness through feedback exchange, they're then able to really then understand how to self-govern. Once I become self-aware, I can then make choices about how I will change and adjust the experience I give to my team according to the needs of the team and, of course, to the needs of myself as well. There's all every, – every human has a set of needs on the table, and we're all in process of negotiating those needs to be met while the overall team goal is also met. This is brilliant leadership at its finest when we're talking about soft skill. 
of course, when we're talking about hard skill, it's do you know the technology? Do you know the platforms? You know, do you know, do you have a specific expertise in your industry that allows you to have a valid opinion about how, you know, the, the, you know, the skills and, and the applications come together? The soft skill, this human skill is about knowing how to meet the needs of people, lead them to the, the end goal, and everyone have a win. I found oftentimes that, you know, founders, CEOs, executive teams, the when they're looking for is first and foremost themselves. They're looking out for themselves and everyone needs to be mindful of themselves, but they're looking out for themselves first and foremost. And then they're looking out for um, the user because they need to sell products. People need to like what they're doing. And then they're also looking out for their investors. And oftentimes there's a gap between those at the top and the end user. And the space between that are all the humans who are your operators. These are the people who actually make it happen. And as decentralization and some of these other big concepts begin to emerge in the market, we're realizing that every stakeholder has to be thought of when decisions are being made so that everyone ultimately can win according to the terms of agreement that people are making in advance for what's going on. And so I see that leadership edge starting with that self-awareness going to self-governance, which changes the experience that people have and really increases boundaries, which are very, very healthy for everyone to know where everyone's limits are, how to communicate with one another, and how to make sure that we're maintaining some form of healthy connection and not just, hey, you're transacting over here, I'm transacting over here, and as long as we don't cross wires, everything's going to be fine. That's a very inhumane way of looking at leadership and performance. And so how do we maintain connection and how do we increase performance of the organization through connection um, is a very, very uh, interesting opportunity that I believe is here right now in the market. And really the emerging workforce that's showing up is demanding it. There's a new set of values that they're coming with and they're really increasing the emotional and social demand on leadership. They want a different culture. They want different agreements. They're not incentivized the same way that workforce, workforces in the past were incentivized. And so we're finding out there's a much higher purpose incentive. There's a much higher um, shared connection incentive. People want to have meaning. They want to know that for, there's some type of greater good that is being accomplished um, in the process of these products or services being created. And they want to be aligned in that direction towards those things. And so we're needing leaders who understand the, the why, the meaning behind the company, and then leading their teams on that mission that then also creates this product or service uh, with that outcome. And uh, on that journey, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs and leaders face when it comes to, to, to that specific growth, to growing their businesses? Yeah, well, I think there's, you know, culture is what governs behavior, right? And so it's, it's, the, it's the, the values, it is the experiences, it's the mantras. It's the, 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 the behaviors or the patterns of how people move throughout a company. And ultimately, we've, we've been instinctual on culture, meaning that 
you know, the, the largest personality, usually the founder, someone on the executive team kind of espouses their preferences of how people should behave or talk. And then they attract people like them. And then the challenge becomes that when the company gets a little bit bigger and there's less exposure to that individual, there's less, you know, just, you know, organic showing how to behave and and ultimately people start behaving the own the the way that they prefer because there's no accountability directly to the person who is trying to govern the culture instinctually i believe we need intentional cultures which means we need to be aware of the human experience in advance and really perceive what type of human experience we want to create inside of our company this requires you know us to be mindful of what an intentional culture looks like that we as a leader would prefer to lead especially as an entrepreneur or a founder because we know any entrepreneur who has goals to really grow they're going to need a team to get there solopreneurs uh you know have great lifestyle businesses and there's nothing wrong with that but most entrepreneurs are not just trying to look how to get their 150,000 a year. They want to create impacting businesses and that will require them to build a team, which means you need to be intentional on your culture as much as you're intentional on your business model, as much as you're intentional on your product development, as much as you're intentional on the, all the other important things. What kind of culture are you going to lead? This is an important question. When you don't lead intentionally in culture, you can end up with an egotistical culture, a controlling culture, a chaotic culture. You know, you can look at a, a performance or perfectionism culture, right? And uh, and it'd be terrible if you had a you know um, a contradictory culture, meaning that there's different rules for different people, and and so all of a sudden we're we're a hypocritical culture, if you will. And so being, you know, healthy cultures to me are authentic ones. And I think companies should be seen like a human. A company is going to have preferences, going to have traits, going to have, you know, tendencies according to how the leadership sets the tone early in a company. And so we need to understand that. We need to understand where the blind spots are. We need to understand how to double down on our strengths. We need to understand how to um, cover the blind spots that we have or the weaknesses we have by supplementing from the outside or hiring to fill those gaps and making sure that that hires a great fit culturally so that when there's disagreement, because we're trying to fill a blind spot that we have, uh, which means it's a different skill set, it's a different perspective, um, that we have a culture that can glue all of those things together to work in concert um, at the same time. And so, you know, what does it look like? to architect a culture? What does it look like? Uh, because it's really what facilitates the human experience and allows people to be aligned from a human connection point of view and not just a work performance uh, point of view. And that to me is the, is the bread and butter of the modern company that is really creating this competitive edge to keep their talent. People are going to stay at intentionally architected companies uh, from a from a culture point of view more than they're going to get and more than they want to be paid somewhere else more money people are taking pay reductions to stay at companies that have a great culture that have a defined purpose that have meaningful work that have innovative growth and um, and and so it's it's very very interesting the research is coming out people are being less motivated by the financial reward and are wanting much more dignifying human experiences in their day-to-day -day work. How your company has helped companies scale their businesses based on what, what you just shared with us? 
Yeah, certainly. You know, I, I had a I had a client come to me uh, before they were a client. They came to me, and uh, they had a crisis oriented culture, and so they you know were offering a service that did show up in very critical moments of uh, uh, of their client's journey, and there was a high sense of urgency in the service that they were offering. Um, but you know, when it comes to um, the culture that you have, even if you're clients are in urgent situations and you're providing and showing up and, and on call, if you will, uh, you still have to have a sense of order uh, to establish that and bring that to that urgent situation. You need process and procedure. You need these things. And yet we're placing a high demand on humans. No matter how much order you're bringing to chaos through your service, the high demand on human is right now we got to go. And, and so and so that was starting to play out from an exhaustion standpoint. Their staff was overworked. Um, they were always on edge because they were always waiting for someone to call, someone to do this. And it wasn't it wasn't just the client anymore. Now that er, that crisis oriented culture was showing up in, hey, I just need an answer yesterday. And it doesn't matter if it's Christmas Day, 10 o'clock in the morning. I need an answer because we're just assuming that everything's a crisis now. And so we had to really go in and understand um, that, you know, the leader had built a company in this situation because they were the type of personality that rises to the occasion in crisis. They perform really, really well in crisis. And if some of you guys are familiar with the DISC assessment, this was a very high D profile and they loved crisis. And so they were willing to tolerate crisis behavior in non-crisis situations simply because they thrived in crisis. They enjoyed the challenge. They, and so it became very toxic and very unhealthy. And so the, the company had, had seen some in, incremental growth, um, but they were, their burn rate through people was just overwhelming. And, and so we showed up and over a year and a half's time, uh, we ended up doing multiple, taking them through our deepest program. Uh, we have, uh, we're really able to really architect very authentic cultures. And then we're able to take it, everything from just coaching the, the founder all the way to implementa- implementation, you know, team-wide inside of companies. And so we were able to go on a very long journey with this organization. And we were able to get them to grow, um, you know, five times uh, over um, that 18 month period, simply by implementing better human process inside of their company. And the feedback we started seeing at the end of our cycle was that the experience the client was getting had increased. And they said that there was a confidence, there was a precision, there was an excellence to the experience they were receiving because the people were coming in ready to do the job, not just physically ready, they were mentally ready, they were emotionally ready, because let's just face it, if you're showing up in a crisis situation, you have to be fully prepared to offer all of who you are. It's not just about fix the short-term problem, it's fix the short-term problem and take care of the humans involved while we get through this short phase so we can get to a long-term goal. And so seeing that type of growth um, is exciting and encouraging. Um, We ended up having to expand the team. They were overworked. Um, We needed more team members and they were scared to add more team members because they didn't want to increase the bottom line of the business and uh, or the overhead of the business. I'm sorry. And so seeing this growth uh, was very, very encouraging for them. And it really allowed for them to architect an intentional culture for their team and not just an intentional culture for the founder. 
And so the founder was willing to make adjustments and willing to find their space to thrive inside of the company, still have those big moments, still be able to rise to the occasion when they felt like they needed to, um, to get that rewarding sense out of their uh, the meaning of their work. And yet also us be able to create a safe environment for the employees to be known, to be cared for, to be mentally ready for their job and to sustain that over time. And so when you start to see results like that, it's very encouraging uh, because the, the the lie that many founders are believing is that if I take time to take care of people, it's going to be a waste of time and a waste of money and I won't make any money, which then I'm a, I won't have freedom for my own time. And, and I really believe that in today's markets um, that things are shifting and people are wanting to do business with businesses that are dignifying humans. And so I really believe it's a competitive edge. This is not about social good. And, you know, I, you know Tom Shoes is the famous socially conscious, you know, startup business. And so many businesses have now followed suit of having some type of social good, you know, outcome connected for every $10 you spend here, you know, 25 cents is going out this way. And, and those bolt-on situations of outflow of capital to a nonprofit, that's nice. But people are now really wanting to know what's the meaning of our group, of our interaction as a team? What's the higher meaning of why we exist as a company and are demanding it today? And, and there's also now you know consumers, clients who want to do business with companies who are mindful in that reason. And there's a high loyalty to businesses that are committed to being dignifying to every human involved. And so uh, I believe there is a, a real opportunity in the market to shift and to go this direction and to double down on it, not resist it. It's my joy to really serve leaders, executives, founders, team leaders, who are really wanting to become intentional with architecting a culture that will help them thrive. A culture that will increase their workforce engagement, increase profitability. I don't believe we have to forsake one for the other. And, and I believe that if you're looking to understand how to intentionally architect a culture that is thriving with people and thriving profitably, um, that uh, we'd love to work with you and show you our framework. Uh, we have a five-step process that we take companies uh, through that allows them to really dial in a very customized, self-discovered experience. You know, I'm not the kind of consultant that shows up and tells you this is what you have to do and it looks like the way that I want to build your company. No, this is really about creating great discovery so that you can understand how to customize an experience that's authentic to you, but will optimize your team and optimize your profitability. And so I'd love for you to go to drewneal.com 
I do a lot of keynote speaking events. So maybe you'd like me to come and speak at your event and introduce these concepts and principles wide to the company and start to create the buy-in process. Or maybe you're already there and you want to workshop and start to meet with your executives and start to architect. We can do in-person workshops, virtual workshops. And of course, we're able to serve much deeper into the business、um, as we create that thriving culture. And so, go to Juno.com. You can see some great videos there, some other content,、uh, and, uh, and and book a free consult and find out how we can customize a keynote for your event, customize a workshop for your team, or even greater serve you in, in different ways. So, Juno.com, and we'd be honored to serve you. Twenty-first century entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.